Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, good morning and welcome. Welcome to the program. It's Thursday. It's actually our last show of this week. Uh, we should be back for a full week on uh, Monday. Uh, well, I think we're beginning to see why uh, Donald Trump seems increasingly, if that's even possible, erratic and uh, crazed and uh, frightened and pushing back against the Mueller investigation uh, because j literally just a few minutes ago, uh, his right former right-hand man, Michael Cohen, walked out of a lower Manhattan federal court after admitting that he has previously lied about the president's business relationships with Russia. And that, in fact, Donald Trump was still in business with Russia while he was the nominee of the Republican Party. This then begins to explain the Trump-Putin bromance in part because we also have little doubt that Putin's got all kinds of dirt on Trump and Trump's terrified of him. And this now explains why Trump spends all his time tweeting things like this from yesterday. While the disgusting fake news is doing everything within their power not to report it that way, at least three major players are intimating that the angry Mueller gang of Democrats they're all Republicans. Mueller's a Republican. Rosenstein's a Republican. God, the angry Mueller gang of Democrats is viciously telling witnesses to lie about facts, and they will get relief. This is our Joseph McCarthy era. That's the president. So what we got now is... Uh, Manafort turning and then turning again. We've got this Corsi character saying he'll go to prison for the rest of his life rather than lie like Mueller wants him to. Um, you have, who's the third? We got Manafort, Cor oh, and uh, that, <laughs> that out of central casting uh, character uh, Stone, his first name I'm blanking on, um, Roger Stone. I mean, you cannot come up with a more despicable trio of known liars. And I guess they're saying that Mueller wants, 
they, they probably think telling the truth is a lie. They probably can't even, you want me to say what? I'm, <laughs> what? I'm used to saying the opposite of what happened and what is, and you want me to say what? That must be a lie. But you see that these three are pinning their hopes on uh, staying true to Trump because he does still have the power of a presidential pardon, um, which, if it were to happen, would, I think, be a clear indication of Trump's own guilt. It certainly would be uh, an indication that he is uh, trying to cover up uh, crimes uh, that implicate him. Um, <clears throat> Manafort, as you know, has continued to lie, and that's why uh, he violated his uh, agreement with the special counsel's office. And uh, so now he's banking solely on a presidential pardon. And in an interview with the New York Post yesterday, the president uh, refused to rule out uh, pardoning Manafort. Uh, saying that he was a brave man <coughs> and saying about pardoning him, why would I take it off the table? This is what it is to have an absolute crook as the President of the United States. It's it's even uglier and more astonishing than um, we could have imagined, and it's going to get worse. That's the <laughs> that's the extraordinary thing. It's going to get worse. And I heard someone posit something yesterday that has crossed my mind in the past. We have seen how Russians and a few others, like Saudi Arabians, handle troublesome people, right? Handle people who are a danger to them in some way, usually in uncovering or, or yeah, in uncovering some of what, in fact, is really going on. Those people in Russia and in the case, certainly, of Khashoggi, uh, are terminated. They're poisoned. They fall out of windows. They're strangled, dismembered. These are the people that Trump and his gang have been playing with. And it has crossed my mind that their fear, the greatest fear they have, is of being killed. So, I just putting that out there. It would not be surprising. Since what we're seeing is so much like uh, what we have seen from afar in autocratic countries before, I don't think we should be surprised if certain parties uh, in our country 
associated with Donald Trump start turning up dead. I'm just putting it out there. I've thought it for some time, but I'm just putting it out there. It would not surprise me in the least. And, of course, while the president continues to increase his hysterical um, attacks and accusations um, on this uh, scrupulously honorable man, <laughs> Mueller, remember when I always say that take what Trump's saying and turn it around onto himself. He is always projecting on to somebody else usually a totally innocent soul, what he is guilty of. So that, you know, lying, gone rogue prosecutor, Mueller, is anything but. But the man making the accusation is a lying, gone rogue president. And so it goes ad nauseum. And so you have con a growing concern uh, among some that uh, the president, if he's willing to pardon Manafort, if he's willing to you know, lie through his teeth about absolutely everything, then he's certainly willing, despite what he knows will be some consequences, to fire or attempt to uh, get rid of the uh, the special the special prosecutor, and and we've already seen by who the acting attorney general is now that that was obviously a step in that direction. So there have been renewed efforts to get uh, the Congress to uh, pass legislation that would ensure that. Uh, Mueller could not be uh, taken off the case to protect him. And uh, the latest effort to uh, do that was rebuffed by none other than the second most horrific human being in Washington who holds real power, and that would be, of course, the Senate Majority Leaver Leader uh, Mitch McConnell. I don't see any reason why we have to vote on such a thing, says McConnell. He's not going to fire Mueller. The funny thing is, is he has said he will twice. <laughs> uh, and all the legislation would do was simply protect the special prosecutor, and McConnell won't even let it come to the floor. We really got to hunker down for the long haul. We've got two extraordinary years we've got to live through here. I know we've done we've done pretty well for the last two, but there's two more because we ain't going to get rid of this guy except at the ballot box. And even then we won't be rid of him until he's jailed. And that, I guess, will be done by uh, New York State prosecutors, we can assume. Uh, 
Meanwhile, speaking of the ballot box, uh, the Democratic blue wave continues to grow. It's incredible to think that all the results are still not in. Um, there are two outstanding House races. Um, uh, there were three yesterday, but that has been uh, finally uh, called. And as all of these outstanding races um, have, this one too, uh, went to the Democrats with the ouster of a uh, re Republican representative in New York State uh, on the border of Pennsylvania. Uh, the this was a particular. Uh, this is interesting because this is a district where registered Republicans far outnumber registered Democrats, and yet the Democrat here won. The Democrat won despite the fact that Trump came and campaigned with this uh, congresswoman and some of Trump's family also uh, attempted to bolster her campaign. She went into full mini-Trump mode and she was turned out by a reliable Republican district. So the Democrats now are up to 39, a pickup of 39 seats uh, in the midterm election with two outstanding. So it is conceivable that we could pick up 41 which is huge. And considering, of course, huge, considering gerrymandering and voter suppression efforts, which, which do succeed in protecting a lot of Republican seats. It would have been much larger if we had true and uh, neutral uh, congressional uh, districting we the democrats would god knows how many seats they would have picked up 50 60 so this bodes well for uh 2020 i guess uh the big job of course is finding someone to head the democratic ticket but i don't think there's any doubt that the united states of america the voters of and the residents of want this president out want the people who support him out and that's the message that is starting thank God to be heard heard by everybody but apparently Republicans this particular uh, congresswoman Claudia Tenney uh, is as repulsive as, as so many others here's something that she said in, in, in a radio interview after one of uh, you know the mass killings here, she said, so many of these people that commit these mass murders end up being Democrats. Uh, are you aware of the political affiliation of any of these mass murderers? I'm serious. I'm aware of like the the guy here. Uh, he ain't no Democrat. 
<coughs> he even finds the Republicans too uh, too liberal. Um, I'm not aware of <laughs> and so anyway, that horrible human is now uh, out of a job. Thank God. All right. Um, a lot's being made of the fact that the Senate did something yesterday in a bipartisan fashion. I myself am hardly wowed. I forget which Democratic senator um, tweeted something like, I never thought I would see a vote like this. And the vote in the Senate was 63 to, 20, to 37. And of course, you can't get 63 votes in the Senate unless there's people crossing the aisle. And the people crossing the aisle in this case were Republicans joining Democrats. And the vote was only a vote to allow a vote. That's all it was. It was a vote to allow a measure that would limit uh, American involvement in Yemen, in the war, the Saudi war in Yemen. Um, and everybody's freaking out that a bunch of, bunch, a few, because most of the Republican senators didn't vote for it, but that some did vote to bring this to the floor. Bringing it to the floor doesn't mean that, that will be the, those would be the numbers if it actually got to a vote, I assure you. So I, people's, you know, crowing about, oh, look, bipartisanship. Uh, no, and I think one of the things that uh, my my gut tells me is that Republicans uh, who won't cross this president on anything are willing to appear to cross him on something having to do with Yemen because they know their base doesn't even have a clue what Yemen is. So it's not anything that's going to come back and bite them. Uh, this comes after uh, yesterday the secretaries of defense and state showed up on Capitol Hill supposedly to brief <laughs> brief the Senate on, um, on what was uh, going on with uh, the Saudis and the Khashoggi. I can't say his name. Khashoggi, I think is how it is, um, assassination. And... Uh, It was a pretty, it, it was a soul-sucking kind of a, a um, appearance with both Pompeo and even Mattis uh, pretty much taking the president's conciliatory side uh, toward the, the Saudi and the Saudi prince and saying that it's not conclusive that the Saudi prince had anything to do with the assassination. Of course, here's what they're expecting us to believe. That Saudi Arabia, which is one of the few true 
monarchies left in the world. In other words, where the king, where the king knows everything, where nothing happens without the king knowing. They're expecting us to believe that such a thing would happen without the presumptive king, the uh, heir to the throne, no, not knowing. I mean, give me a break. And the other extraordinary thing is that neither of these guys listened to the, there's a tape of the actual murder. Neither of them listened to it. The only person who listened to it was a woman who happens to head the CIA, and she was not allowed to come to Capitol Hill with them. Another man who serves Trump, John Bolton, another repulsive character, you probably saw a few days ago uh, answer a reporter's uh, question with another question of why should I listen to that tape? And the reporter said, because uh, you're the national security advisor. <laughs> and then his next comeback was, I don't speak Arabic. And the reporter said, uh, do you have access to a translator? Are these people for real? It's That's why I say it is not conducive to one's mental health. Not conducive. And that brings us to another wonderful thing. <laughs> uh, now, uh, this administration is doing, and that's, of course, you know, tear gassing women and children. And um, I don't know if you're aware that we've talked about Sinclair Broadcasting in the past. This uh, Sinclair Broadcast Group owns. Um, 200 I, I believe it's I believe it's almost 200 local television stations they own one here I forget which one it is uh, maybe the Fox News one here 22 I don't know who it is they own one here in a lot of cities in the country the stations they own are in fact affiliates of ABC NBC or CBS so they these stations appear to be, you know, responsible. You know, you, you pe the people watching them see the NBC nightly news, let's say, uh, and uh, after it or before it, they've seen their local anchors who they know and love um, giving them the news. So these look like reputable stations, but Sinclair is a uh, nothing more than a propaganda outfit. Uh, serving uh, the the most right-wing policies of uh, the Trump administration. Um, and as such, they have a former Trump uh, official, uh, a creep named Boris Epstein, Epstein, who 
I, I holds a position at Sinclair as something like their um, their chief political analyst or something. And he regularly uh, puts out these uh, two-minute diatribes about um, uh, about issues of concern to the White House, uh, completely carrying water for the White House. And what makes Sinclair stations different than any other TV station I'm aware of is that Sinclair forces every station. So there's 200, they're in every market in the, every major market. They force those stations to carry these propaganda pieces in their news. There's no control by the local station. And having come out of television news, I can tell you that is astonishing to me. I worked for stations that were affiliated with other uh big owners, the Hearst Corporation for one, nothing came down from Hearst to all their stations, that especially something that was political. And, 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 and we were told to, this airs during your newscast. No. Only Sinclair does that. And I guess it was, what, just two nights ago, maybe three nights ago, these Sinclair stations started airing the latest must-run by Boris Epstein. And in it, he flat out says, America, quote, had to use tear gas against these women and children to guard against an attempted invasion of the United States. Here's a quote. The fact of the matter is that this is an attempted invasion of our country. Sinclair Broadcasting is the largest operator of local television stations in this country. We spend a lot of time freaking out about Fox News. But I would argue that Sinclair is a much more insidious propaganda arm for the Republicans. Because the propaganda delivered on these Sinclair stations, again, the largest owner of local television stations in the United States, is that they are forced to run these segments. They are nothing more than propaganda outlets. And these segments air and are introduced by the trusted local anchors, those smiling folks that you might bump into at the grocery store and see in the holiday parade, those folks you've come to know and trust and love. And so there's 
there's sort of a seamlessness for the unsophisticated viewer. And let me argue that most Americans are unsophisticated viewers of, of television news. So these local stations that, as I said, might be affiliated affiliates of ABC, NBC, or, you know, they carry ABC programming, NBC programming, they seem perfectly legitimate. And then they draw off the credibility of those local beloved anchors and presenting themselves as trusted members of the community, and they carry this poison that those women and children that we saw running actually were attempting to invade the United States of America. Well, I have to tell you, when that uh, that started running, there was quite a bit of blowback. Turns out people who regularly take this stuff in were really pretty freaked by seeing the characterization of those people as invaders. And so Sinclair, much to my shock, and I saw this on my Twitter feed last night, uh, tweeted this. We'd like to take a moment. This comes from Sinclair Broadcast Group. We'd like to take a moment and address some concerns regarding a commentary segment that was aired on Sinclair stations this week. The opinions expressed in this segment do not reflect the views of Sinclair Broadcast Group. Do you understand how, how extraordinary that is? They pay this guy. They do not have, like at the end of my show, for God's sake, doesn't it say? Uh, nothing that this loudmouth Cullen said uh, reflect the views of uh, Pittsburgh City Paper or something. We, we wash our hands of everything she said. That's not a disclaimer that airs after Boris Epstein's diatribes. So after one got them attention they didn't want, more attention than they wanted, they put out this crap that his opinion doesn't express their opinion, which is why he's hired. And I was happy to see the kind of pushback Sinclair immediately got. Let me find one. There was a funny one. Um, okay, some guy immediately tweeted, the opinions forced on local news outlets by Sinclair Broadcast Group do not reflect the views of Sinclair Broadcast Group. That's what they're, that's what Exactly what their st extraordinary statement said. The views that we're forcing on our stations do not represent our views.
And somebody else tweeted, sorry, guys, but you don't get to require your stations to carry this and then disavow the content. That's not how it works. Oh, it works however they want it to work. But I, I just think we need to be aware that even if Trump eventually goes, Democrats take back, let's say, the White House, um, the Republicans and their deep-pocketed corporate allies have taken over extraordinary amounts of the communications infrastructure of our country. So much so that even an MSNBC, which we think of as, oh, that's the liberal outlet, is owned by corporate entities who would only allow, you know, they're making money on it. As long as they're making money on it, it's okay. But the consolidation of ownership of our media outlets is, and the ending of net neutrality, which only gives them more power, um, political power is one kind of power it's extremely important but don't ever think that the politics and the policies espoused by this rogue Republican Party of today don't have a home and a base from which they can continue to promulgate, misinform, and propagate their propaganda all over America, directly into the living rooms of, uh, of the American people. And it won't matter who is in the White House. The, if it's a Democrat, the pushback from these outlets will be incessant. So, I just wanted to point that out. Excuse me why I take some liquid refreshment. I'm oh, Okay. Obituary of the day. At the age of 96, Lady Trumpington is no longer with us. Yes, Lady Trumpington, <laughs> a member of the House of Lords, the upper house of the British Parliament. Uh, I was never aware of this woman. Jeez, I wish I was. She's a hoot. Uh, Lady Trumpington was, um, during World War II, was one of those women, young women, who was decoding 
typing the intercepted messages that the Brits were getting from the German Navy. This was the stuff that, uh, that oh, what's his name, what's his name, uh, Turing, Alan Turing, uh, this brilliant guy who was later, was he jailed? I think, did, was he jailed? being gay after the after he won the war I think he was jailed for being gay or something he was certainly prosecuted I'm not sure if he went to jail but he was harassed and uh, humiliated um, the rest of the world didn't know much about what he had done um, and because it was top secret information that they were able to do this uh, but a bunch of films, um, including uh, Enigma and The Imitation Game, uh, did allow the rest of us to know that there were most of the people doing the like total work were women. So this is very interesting. There were all these British women typing away and undercutting uh, the, the Germans left and right. Uh, Lady Trumpington <laughs> was actually uh, the daughter of uh, an American woman who was an heiress uh, to a Chicago paint business, <laughs> and but her father was a major uh, in the uh, British British military who was uh, an aide to the Viceroy of India. And Lady Trumpington, during the war, was uh, doing uh, this this work, and um, after the war, she moved to New York City, and she lived over like the hottest nightclub at the time um, in New York, the Stork Club, uh, but. That doesn't mean she had a lot of money. She didn't at the time. She was living poor in New York, and she would sift uh, through the bins in the back of the club, and she said she would find the most amazing handbags and, and gloves and just lovely things in there. So uh, Lady Trumpington was uh, dumpster diving in New York in like the early 50s. And by virtue of her personality and just her stress, she was six feet tall, which I got to tell you is really tall for a woman now, but in 1952 when she moved to New York, that was, I mean, she was sticking out. And uh, she became a sought-after party guest of a certain set where she was known for tap dancing on tables. Lady Trumpington, ladies and gentlemen. She said she never would have moved back to uh, Great Britain, but uh, she happened to meet this guy who was uh, on fellowship uh, at Yale, um, who was uh, the master of Eton, Eton, the boys' boarding school. And 
she fell in love with him and returned to England and said, Me, the flop of school, the flop at school, who'd have thought I'd end up marrying a headmaster? And he became headmaster of a lot of uh, different schools, um, Cambridge and um, other places. And once uh, she was given the task as his wife of, of giving uh, awards to uh, certain athletes, and at the end she jumped fully clothed into the school's swimming pool, uh, followed by all of the uh, students. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> her uh, response to that was, oh, my husband was furious. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm not even sure how the hell somebody decided she ended up in the House of Lords, but she was, um, oh, she was appointed to the House of Lords in 1980. And uh, she held it, and, and that's when she took the name Lord Trumpington. I don't know what, I mean Lady Trumpington. So uh, she she held a, a number of positions, including mayor of some place, and and um, she retired uh, just last year, and uh, when she turned ninety-five. And and one of her big things there was how so many of the lords got up and just talked and talked and talked ad nauseum. It drove her insane. And so she championed uh, brevity and kept trying to get there to be a time limit on how long people could speak. Their lordships do go on and on, and it is quite unnecessary. Um... Just, just this month, the month she ended up dying, she was among, uh, among a group of veterans of the Alan Turing group that saved Great Britain, awarded the Legion of Honor, which is France's highest honor, uh, for their contributions to the liberation of, of, of France. So she was just recently honored at the age of 96. And uh, she died on, on Monday. So, quite a character. Lady Trumpington. All right, guys. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so, um, following the uh, following the the uh, changing uh, weather uh, report that came out of the Trump administration, which he said he doesn't believe. Um, Another report was issued just yesterday, and this was uh, published in the Lancet, which is a 
a journal that specializes in public health issues. And it compiled <coughs> information from uh, 24 different academic uh, studies and uh, United Nations agencies to talk about the health implications of uh, the changing climate. And it's very, I mean, we, we, we're already seeing them, but we're not recognizing them for, for what they are. Uh, that, in fact, in various parts of the globe, we're already seeing uh, crop yields going down. We're already seeing tropical diseases in places that ain't tropical. Um, we're already seeing how heat can kill, I mean, can kill people directly, but can also lead to all kinds of diseases. Uh, heat stress can lead to kidney disease, to cardiovascular disease. And um, the reality is, is you have more and more people uh, not just in the United States, but all over the globe, living in, uh, in urban settings um, and often in, in poorer locales, including in rich nations, uh, these people do not have access to air conditioning. And so you have more and more people literally dying of heat. Um, when was it? It was it was quite some time ago that there was a horrible summer in Chicago. That's what I'm remembering. Where hundreds and hundreds and it was almost always poor elderly people <coughs> succumbing to the heat. Well, that was a precursor of what we are going to see because you have large populations of older, poorer uh, people living in cities, and the heat, according to this uh, journal, uh, will put as many as half of people over the age of 65 um, at risk if they are living in, you know, relatively compact and unair conditioned um, um, housing. In the United States, <coughs> just focusing on us, the National Climate Assessment, which Trump doesn't believe, found that some of the largest increases they believe of heat-related death in the near future will be in the Northeast, which I think includes us. And I think they're suggesting that because there are a lot of places in the Northeast where you have um, big cities, people living uh, in apartments that do not have <coughs> air conditioning because, you know, the summer's just the summer and you can somehow make it through and you don't need air conditioning much of the time. So they are specifically saying that we will begin to see more deaths. <coughs> it says by mid-century there could be 50 to 100 excess deaths per 1 million people due to heat. Now you can say, ah, it's no big deal. Well, <laughs> maybe not for you.
Also, heat uh, makes it very hard for some people to work, to do their jobs, uh, outdoor work, or certainly in unair-conditioned uh, factories. Good God, if they exist, and I'm sure they do. Uh, it's, it's economists have figured out that last year there was 153 billion hours of lost labor worldwide because of heat. And um, the Landsat article goes on to say, quote, multiple cities will be uninhabitable and migration patterns will be far beyond those levels already creating pressure worldwide. Think of the migrants we're tear gassing at our border. Think of the migrants drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. Think of the migrants in all those camps in Greece and Italy and other places. Think of that, triple it, quadruple it. Look at the political ramifications of those migrations. Fear-mongering on the part of right-wing politicians, rightward-leaning governments, winning elections in democratic countries by virtue of the fear of these desperate people pushing into their countries. That will all be exacerbated. And the underlying reason is global climate change. Also, infectious diseases, man, we're going to get scared by more stuff than we never believed, but we already saw that. The Zika, remember that? That was never supposed to get anywhere near us. It got near us. That's a tropical disease. Dengue fever is a tropical disease. It has already been found in the United States. So the even small changes in temperature and rainfall can have a significant impact on um, where diseases are spread because these diseases are spread by insects and by water often. So um, a professor of public health at Harvard and former administrator of the EPA when it was the EPA during the Obama administration says, I don't want people to be surprised when they see cases of what used to be considered tropical diseases now being found in the United States. So that will happen. Also extreme droughts and then floods uh, will, we are seeing those certainly, it will affect, again, agricultural le uh, yields. It will heighten the risk of early death, of hunger. Uh, and this will especially endanger children and the elderly. With drought often comes more dust. Dust aggravates uh, asthma and also accelerates the reproduction of disease causing fungi in the soil. So all of this brought to you by something that is a hoax, something that is not happening, something that is not going to cause us any trouble at all, according to most, the vast majority of Republicans, and certainly the President of the United States, 
Uh, crop yields are already diminishing in 30 countries in the world, reversing, by the way, a trend of rising agricultural production all over the world. The quality of the food itself is also expected to decline because rising levels of carbon dioxide reduces the presence of key nutrients. Carbon dioxide means there won't be as much iron, zinc, protein in crops and in seafood. Just saying. Oh, Alan Dershowitz has popped up on Fox News this morning to downplay the news that Michael Cohen <laughs> revealed today that uh, the president was actively involved in efforts to build a Trump Tower in Moscow uh, well into 2016. Uh, I mean, Dershowitz, you tell me about Dershowitz. I don't know. He's vile. That's all I can say. I, I, my brother, I remember telling me, Bill was a visiting professor at Harvard at some point and in the law school, and so he rubbed elbows with dirt. He, he said, Dershowitz is just the worst. I remember him saying, Alan Dershowitz. He, had, he, he developed a great dislike for a lot of the sort of star uh, legal scholars, including Lawrence Tribe. I know he didn't like him either. But Dershowitz was particularly, uh, he's so clearly somebody who's very needy. I mean, who has a a huge ego. He loves to be the contrarian. He loves the fact that people talk about him, I think. Um, so Dershowitz on Fox, I'm not going to spread this crap, but th this is what they will not stop trying to undermine uh, Mueller, because that's what Dershowitz was doing on, on Fox. He was saying that he's making his decisions off of false information and that the president is the only one telling the truth? <laughs> Who possibly would ever believe <coughs> that Donald Trump is telling the truth? He doesn't even know how in the smallest little thing. If if you point out the sky is blue, he will say it isn't. I mean, what? Unbelievable. So there's a lot of feeling that uh, Mueller's closing in or starting, and it seems that way, but who the hell knows? And you can see that the attempt to discredit Mueller and the fact that Mueller has to rely in part on testimony by known liars like Michael Cohen. You can see where this is difficult. How do you believe any of these people associated with Donald Trump since lying is their what they do and what they've always done? And so somebody like Michael Cohen, 
will be attacked because what he said today in federal court is the exact opposite of what he'd been saying. So you can see how a jury would be told, so you believe him now? After Mueller had the screws on him? After Mueller had, you know, a lifetime sentence hanging over his head? And expect the White House and Fox and everybody else to keep that up to plant doubt that anything that Mueller proffers that in any way comes as a result of testimony uh, he's gotten from Trump associates, all of whom are known liars, that all of a sudden they're telling the truth. And I think that's what Dershowitz obviously was doing uh, this morning on, uh, on Fox News. Uh, so, I don't know. It's not going to be easy. It's it's going to be ugly. It's going to be frightening. And if Donald Trump and his aiders and abettors have to take down the entire American judicial system and anybody's sense of it ever being a fair arbiter, They'll do it in a second. That's the thing about Trump and these people that is most distressing to me. Because the damage that I, it, I, I get emails all the time from people who tend to like believe stuff I'm saying. And they say things like, I don't really trust the news anymore. I don't trust that anymore. I don't trust. That is what they are banking on. That they will get us all to a point that we say, <laughs> they are all a bunch of liars. And I hear people say that, don't you? All politicians are liars. All lawyers, all presidents, all Republicans, all Democrats, all this. And any time you start that, all, you're probably in trouble. Even though I do that with Republicans. Yeah, it's, it's never wise. Never wise. It's like yesterday when I made assumptions about, of course, what Eamon Bundy would be thinking about the invasion of the United States by these hordes of desperate people from Honduras and El Salvador. And it turns out he's sympathetic to them. And he's appalled by what the Trump administration is doing. And he believes they deserve a chance of asylum and he believes them when they say they're terrified of going back to their countries because they'll be killed or their children will be killed or their children will be forced into being killers in gangs. It's all true but how do these poor people prove that to people working for this administration that are essentially ordered not to believe it? 
fewer than 20% of the people coming out of these countries seeking asylum, terrified for their lives, are offered asylum. Okay, Bob tells us that the Sinclair station here is WPGH Fox 53 and 22, the point. Okay, don't watch that news. The point, both stations have their newscasts broadcast from Channel 11, the NBC affiliate. Um, okay, so beware, okay, 53 and 22, WPGH Fox and the point those are our Sinclair stations. Uh, yeah. Don't be an easy mark. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And uh, I'll be back on Monday. Uh, we'll have a full week, I hope. And I'll be feeling better and be a little friskier than I have been. Hope you all have a good weekend. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.